This episode of Troxel is supported by Avail. Content is more than Revit families. If it's digital, Avail can handle it. Learn more at getavail.com. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have conversations with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the coevolution of architecture and technology. In this episode, I welcome Jordan Rogov and Wayne Norbeck. They helm two companies, Live Connected and DXA Studio in New York City. Jordan is the chief operating officer of Live Connected and co-founder of DXA Studio. And Wayne is the Director of Design and Business Strategy at Live Connected and is also a co-founding partner at DXA. In this episode, we discuss using Prefab Modular as a strategy for the delivery of productized architecture, how architecture can save people's lives, the volumetric modular system that they've developed, the benefits of Prefab, the value of their tight collaboration with a dedicated and experienced fabrication outfit, the importance of creating a sense of purpose in their work, And I have a bit of a soapbox moment at the end that came right out of my flow state in the conversation, so I hope you make it all the way through. This was a fantastic conversation with these guys, and I hope you'll not only find value in it for yourself, but that you'll help add value to the profession by sharing it with your network. You can really help me out also by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts to help other people find it. I would also appreciate you visiting the sponsor who is helping make this episode possible. Thank you so much. So without further ado, I bring you my conversation with Jordan Rogov and Wayne Norbeck. Jordan and Wayne, welcome to the podcast. Great to see you guys again. So we met in Chicago at the AIA conference officially, which was cool to be back in person and obviously meet new people. So we were on the riverboat cruise that Fair Game Media hosted along with uh, Bob Borson and Andrew Hawkins from Life of an Architect podcast. So that was cool that, you know, I'm a podcaster, Bob and Andrew are podcasters. And then obviously Amanda at Fair Game knows that. And she's like, you guys, you have to meet Jordan and Wayne. And so, or maybe it's Wayne and Jordan. You guys can sort that out. Yeah, either way. <laughs> the idea the idea of having you on the show really comes from what you're doing with, you know, and I don't know how to frame this. I'm going to let you frame it, but this, I, this live connected thing that you're doing. And so I would love it if you guys could kind of tell the story. And I don't know how you're going to negotiate this between the two of you who gets to tell what part, but how did you get to here? Like what lead us from maybe more of a traditional practice because... I, I'm assuming that that's where you came from into where you're at today with DXA studio and live connected. Sure thing. Wayne and I met in school at Virginia tech, uh, years and years ago. And we were both practicing in New York city. I was at Aldo Rossi's old studio, which became Morris Adjami architects. And Wayne was, uh, first at Gluckman Manor. Is that right, Wayne? Yeah. Yeah. Ten Architectos and then Gluckman Manor architects here in New York. Got it. So we were both in New York and we crossed paths and we started 
doing a series of competitions and we started winning a lot of competitions. And then we opened our, as you said, more traditional architecture office to get started. And uh, that we're actually just celebrating our 10 year anniversary of DXA Studio, our architecture firm. And uh, a quick book plug, but we released a book celebrating that that 10th anniversary called DXA NYC, and uh, that explores kind of a relationship between New York City's history and its its architecture and a kind of unique relationship to architecture. So anyway, so yes, we come from a, a, a more kind of traditional architecture background. We started a firm. We're kind of in the mid 30s, kind of medium sized office. And uh, one of the things we did, like right out of the bat. As I mentioned, we were doing competitions and we won a competition for housing in Haiti. And that followed almost immediately after the big earthquake uh, 10 years ago. And what what we saw happen there was kind of this conversation about you know intersection of health and well-being and architecture in the built environment, and just how much the built environment affects health and well-being and that kind of correlation. And and we also saw the power of doing these like these types of projects, these pro bono projects where we meet like fascinating people and just like it just opened so many doors. And it was such an amazing experience going down to Haiti uh, repeatedly and, and working on that project. And so so that was kind of like the first taste of 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 just seeing what the power of architecture is when it comes to helping people heal, like come back from an earthquake. We, our partner down there was helping people with uh, HIV AIDS kind of, there's a, like a big stigma down in Haiti. Uh, it's kind of like a voodoo, uh, you know, background that you got AIDS because you deserve it kind of thing. And so we, we did kind of housing for 75 people down there uh, diagnosed with HIV AIDS. And there was a, a, a really kind of scary instance of co-infection with TB, tuberculosis is quite common down there. So like when that happens, it's it's like an 85% like fatality rate, just like terrifying numbers. And so we started thinking about how you design something that could be locally sourced, easily repeated, uh, and can help people kind of like prevent, like just, just try to, you know, um, use passive ventilation and different, you know, basic uh, technologies to, to, to help people avoid that sort of fate. So Anyway, we were we were kind of hooked at this idea that architecture can 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 really save people's lives, just like thoughtful design, just that simple. Yeah, and that that also led to a project in Namibia um, where we where we worked with uh, a group of technicians down there that, that we were training to go in and and do work on about fifteen hundred structures along the northern border of Namibia uh, to you know eradicate malaria and other vector borne diseases, and uh, so that that. Those two projects were really kind of launched this idea of like health and well-being in our firm and, and um, have been seeing that evolve over time. So that that coupled with my father as a physician um, and we had long talked about he, he was kind of a pioneer in telemedicine. We all thought he was insane. He's like, oh, yeah, we're going to these robots treat people or, yeah, they could get on a computer screen and talk to their doctor. Like, that's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, that's like <laughs> 15 years ago. And now it just seems super prescient, you know, that, that the, um, but the telemedicine has actually evolved into like a really worthwhile thing and has helped a lot of people uh, gain almost immediate access to like uh, physician consultation. So he, he and I had a conversation uh, about how do you take some of these like nascent technologies and integrate them into the built environment to benefit people. 
And, uh, and so that is the wane in my work. And then my father and my conversation kind of like led to this idea for Live Connected. Uh, and then the pandemic really just sent us like, <laughs> you know, at 100 miles an hour um, with the additional kind of time and resources that we were afforded with a little bit of a, a slowdown in the industry. And then the, the kind of fourth person that we brought in is Wayne and I teach down at Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech has been at the forefront of, of modular and kind of solar house design. Uh, they've won repeated solar decathlons, if you're familiar with those. And, and so Joe Wheeler, who's headed that initiative at Virginia Tech, is our fourth partner. And he brings 20 plus years of an understanding of modular construction and, and just really thoughtful kind of outside the box uh, approach to, to how modular might work. And so, so that was kind of the evolution. And then the, the kind of final pieces, you know, after you have a practice for 10 years, you're like, how do I do projects that don't require clients, <laughs> you know? And so like it puts us in the driver's seat where we can essentially develop and, uh, and, and find opportunities with the, with the modular housing that we've developed to, to help communities, um, which, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, you know, as, as the podcast goes on here. I love how you said you, you went, how can we not have clients? What's, what's interesting to me, it comes up on the show a lot, which is this whole idea of other, there's other business models out there, right? And there's so many people just unwilling to look beyond the, the way we've always practiced or the way that we currently practice to kind of put it into two buckets. And then there's like this, what if, and there's an aversion to risk, right? With different business models. Like you said, you, you guys kind of, I don't know. You just kind of found yourself here because of the con weird convergence of all of these different things. And so it's not like that just happens for everyone. Were you looking for another business model before that? Or was this more just purely in a reaction to like, holy crap, you know, no one's buying our services anymore because of the pandemic and there's so much uncertainty. No, we were looking before. We are looking before. Like we, um, we think there's a lot that's positive about the profession First of all, we're hooked. Like we love architecture. Don't get us wrong. But I think the model, you know, that we have right now, there's a lot of things that we're not crazy about. This like hyper special specialization and like kind of bifurcation of like parts of the design. And I'm an interior designer, a design architect, an executive architect, you know, and it just like waters down the product. Right. And so we've been fighting that since we opened our doors trying to be a one-stop shop where we provide all of those services and like kind of a singular vision to the project. So that's been our first kind of attempt to disrupt how things are done in New York. We've kind of thought about opportunities of developing projects. We look really hard at the city of Detroit, saw amazing opportunities out there. And then that was kind of a more traditional kind of like developer type role, which didn't interest us as much as something that was like, kind of like a more like a, a stronger blend of the two. And so this kind of like naturally fit that this is like, we're making something that in a way that nobody else has, there's lots of people that have like preceded us in making modular. And we've studied a lot of the successes and failures, more failures than success in that field. And we thought, Hey, this is the perfect mix, right? It's perfect mix. Cause there's like a lot of design. The we, one thing that we've always been concerned about architecture is just like the clients. I only it's, it's something like startling. Like only two percent of all buildings built are done by architects, right? I think it's one percent. Yeah, one percent, <laughs> even worse. All right, 
And so the idea that there's this exclusivity to what we do is kind of like so counter to the way we try to practice. And so inherent in doing this modular construction is like developing a much broader audience and bringing like our skills and the things that we love to do to to people that would never go out and hire an architect, right? Like who's got that kind of income? It's only it's it's, it's only the you know upper tier of the upper tier that, that that's willing to oftentimes hire an architect. So we love the we love the thought that you could do that, and we love the thought that we can basically create like communities within months instead of you know years. And with the housing crisis, like it just all kind of started to fit together. It's like the stuff we were working on. It just became clear, and and then that, that was the founding of our firm, DXA. It's like it was just so clear we needed to start to practice then and there, winning the competitions and getting all these calls. So the clarity of of this and the sense of purpose and kind of duty was uh, was was immediately apparent, especially come March of twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, you know? and 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 to build on that a little bit, the um, you know with, with traditional practice, you really have a separate. Uh, separation of like the owner, the architect, contractor. And there's a lot of excess dynamics that go into that, which make it far more complicated to be able to put a good project together. So this this represents a really interesting opportunity to kind of combine all of those things, and in particular to work really closely with a great fabricator. And and that process of going back and forth to really re- refine the design, all the the technical. Re- aspects of the project um, and to really think about um, like the, the business model of how to achieve a really effective cost for, for the products, uh, so to speak, uh, that, that's that been a really enjoyable process, which we don't always get into in a, such a seamless way in our other work. So this whole idea of productized architecture, Wayne, can you give us a definition of what Live Connected actually is? So we've kind of skirted around the actual product that you guys are offering. So Kind of just lay that out in front so that the audience understands exactly because they're probably not going to your website just yet, right? Based on this conversation, but I want before they do, just paint that picture. Yeah, I mean, in a really simple way, what what we're trying to do is is provide access to housing in a much more seamless way for people. So you know, the the normal process if you want to build a house is to hire an architect, find a site, um, go through this very lengthy process of approvals and so forth. And that can take, you know, it, it can take a year, two years, three years for people. It becomes a very daunting um, process with a lot of financial resources that there's a lot of complexity with. Um, what we're offering is more like, almost think about buying, having a house is like the experience of buying a car. You can go onto a website, order up the house. Um, it, it's, you know, configurable. You can select different finishes and so forth. And then that goes out to, to the fabricator. We get that built in almost like a few weeks, and then it goes out to the site. And when it gets out to site, you can build these things within a few hours. And that's really like the magic of, the, of, of Live Connected. That's, that's a model we call the Connexus model. We also have a separate line, which is tiny homes called the VIA. And both of those are really to provide the kind of high quality, rapid housing um, for a wide array of people. Awesome. This whole idea of configurators and, you know, like the Tesla configurator online, like this is, this is shopping nowadays. And I've always thought of people buy houses like they shop for other things. Like a car is a great example because it's expensive, right? It's, it's on the, one of the larger things that people buy. And when people 
you know, it's not even in their brain to go look for an architect and go through that just undeniably hectic, risky process of the design process, acquiring the land, permitting, dealing with this weird triangle that you mentioned, right? Contractor, architect, owner, uh, all of the, you know, the financial stuff that they have to navigate. And it's just like, no, I'm just going to go look for a house, right? Because it's like, it's on Zillow.com, right? And that's how people shop for shelter. And thinking of that as like, we are leaving so much on the table as architects, as a profession. I mean, you said it, Jordan, one, 1%, 2%, whatever the number is, it's a tiny, tiny percent, right? So we're leaving so much on the table here as, as a profession, as an industry, as a building industry. There's 99% of the other needs out there that are not being met from the architectural standpoint, right? So offering something like this, it's not a new idea, right? But I'm, I'm wondering how you guys found success early on that just said, yep, this is the direction we're going to go. What, what kind of started to make sense for you guys in this way? Who was buying it? How often were they buying it? Like what, what proved it to you that it was a model worth pursuing? Well, uh, I, I would build upon the question, kind of the technology, what's different about Live Connected? So one of the things that kind of sold us on the idea right away is like one of the most basic things. It's that when you think about all like, you know, 99% of all the modular that proceeded it, we, we kind of came up with a name for it. We call it like spatial or volumetric modular where you're shipping a bunch of empty space, right? Like almost all modular is like on this wide load on the back of a truck and it would get shipped to place, hoisted, craned, uh, lulled in place, whatever device. And But all the while it was shipped empty and like the, the parameters of it, the dimensions made it incredibly expensive to ship. Uh, it made it almost like localized, like you would have to ship within 250 to 500 miles of the plant because you've got to shut down some roads, you've got to get permits and all of that. And so the approach is really different than that, is that we flat pack as much as we can. And we've got these cartridges, which we call it the click system. It's basically a bathroom, a kitchen, like all of the series of cartridges that you lay out on the grade beams and then they, they click together and uh, that's it. And as Wayne said, we can build these houses in four hours and you, they are watertight. It, it's a whole kit of parts. And so we made everything as basic as possible so that you could use local labor uh, for assembly and try to kind of, again, invest in the communities that, in which you're building these. And so with just that simple way of looking differently at how modular is done, we thought, this is amazing. We can have one plant and ship it anywhere in the country on a normal flatbed truck without professional drivers and at a fraction of the cost, right? A lot of the modular companies would open scattered across the United States so that they're close and they can close down those roads. But like, we don't have to do that. So we don't have a scalability issue. We don't have a like an over extension of the, you know, of an organic development of, of a business. And so we just, when we looked at it, we're just like, this is too good of an idea not to go full bore into. And then we we tested the waters. We we got a an RFP from the state of Texas. There are all these coastal areas and states that have just had enough of the FEMA trailers. Understandably so, right? And they're looking for for a modular solution for either uh, temporary or permanent housing in that same kind of cost range. And so 
we we put the connections to the test and just kind of scaled it back from kind of a market rate version and are a finalist in that process. In fact, we met with them today and that 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 would be that would be a tremendously gratifying professional moment to to help people never have to live in those trailers after a hurricane or or any sort of natural disaster because those are soul crushing little <laughs> like human bird vessels and so we we see a lot of value like give somebody a beautiful home the day after uh, something as dramatic as that and they they will help the healing if to have a dignified place like on day one will will help people recover and so that to us is kind of like a noble you know a, a, a noble prospect and so when you couple those opportunities and that approach we just thought this is a, a can't can't miss kind of opportunity for us I've been through kind of a little bit of a prefab feasibility study, as it were, previous places that I've worked. And usually it comes up in a couple of categories. There's kind of this penalized system. And then there's this, like you said, volumetric modular kind of system. And the the penalized system is, I assume it's similar to your cartridge idea, but I don't, I don't want to, I haven't exactly seen the cartridge idea. I assume it's maybe a, a hybrid or something, but the, the idea of, panels getting shipped to a site in a very flat, you know, that it makes logistics way easier. Whereas like this volumetric prefab idea is much, you know, the modular is way more about starting with logistics. And you said you don't even need professional drivers to deliver this. So that seems to me like one of the game changers for you, at least was to, to actually be able to address these issues at scale. You had, that was a, another design problem that you basically took on and solved. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, just to talk a little bit about the evolution from a panelized system that, that where we're a bit different is I think a lot of those panelized systems are, are sort of wall components that come out. But then once you get to the site, you need to come and do all the drywall work, do all the um, exterior waterproofing and sheathing and, and, you know, final finishes on site. And even a lot of the volumetric companies are like that too. They kind of bring the shell out and then you're finishing everything out there. Our whole thing was to think of it like once you get out of the site, absolute minimum amount of work that needs to be done. So all the finishes, the whole strategy of, of the interior is already baked in. We use, you know, pre-finished um, wood panels or plywood panels uh, for the whole interior aesthetic. And then on the outside, we, we already have the roofing, we already have the, the cladding integrated, and we've come up with really clever ways of, of being able to connect the panels and then come in and cap things, even with the way that the, the utilities are run. So it's, it's that, that ability to get out on site and really within like a day or so have the thing ready to be lived in, which is, is really the, the distinctive uh, feature. That's, that's great. I, this whole idea of designing the whole process and thinking with kind of those different perspectives in mind of who's going to do the work, who's doing the installation. Do we have to train them? Is it, is it our crew? Is it, is it a localized crew to wherever the site is? All of that stuff just takes kind of a depth to it. What was that process like for you guys to go through? Because again, kind of coming from a more traditional practice, um, did you bring in people that already knew somewhat how to do this or did you have to kind of figure it all out from scratch as you went along? Well, the first big move that we made was reaching out to different modular companies and just talking to them about, you know, what their philosophy is, how they practice. And we, uh, you know, the people we talked to were like, this is how we do it. And we're not going to change. This is how you build modular. And it was like, 
just horrendous. It was like lo- too low quality. It was a, a, like an absence of imagination and willingness to, you know, explore innovation. And so we made a pivot, which was also pandemic related, that I had, I had worked um, with a group called Atomic uh, in Pennsylvania that uh, we did traveling rock shows and MTV Unplugs and, uh, you know, all manner of like set design uh, and production uh, design. And so these guys were amazing in, in designing something rapidly, like incredibly talented engineers, electricians, carpenters could build it, uh, ship it in, in, in like no space and then erect it immediately. And I was just like, these are the guys, like these are the guys they are open to anything. I mean, they get a call, you know, uh, we need a show tomorrow morning in New York city and like boom, 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 everyone stays up and bangs it out. And, and so they, with the, with, with the pandemic and, um, and the, uh, uh, live entertainment industry just kind of hitting pause, they had 160 people ready to go. And we called them and like the next day we were working out terms of a, of a, of like an agreement, like a manufacturing agreement. And so, they have been phenomenal on the logistics side because they they're doing you know the, the Super Bowl halftime show you know or the the VMAs and so they ship anywhere and then Joe Wheeler you know our our, our co professor down at Virginia Tech he's got twenty years of thinking about this inside out so when you put our like the Live group together with the Atomic group it was it just the conversations went from you know, the first pencil sketch to, you know, uh, building this thing and having people move in and every kind of step in between. We've, you know, I think the, the biggest hurdle for us has really been, has been like kind of government municipal approvals. And like, that's been a, a slow burn, right? Getting uh, building codes to really adjust and adapt to uh, this, these these types of shifts in technology. And there's still so much out there that prevents like, like really good housing from happening. And so we're seeing more and more that a good chunk of our time efforts and resources are going to go to trying to reform that, like talking to government officials, lobbying, publishing white papers, explaining the folly of some of the kind of zoning in building code requirements that get in the way of really thoughtful and expensive design that would like help millions of people. <laughs> it's just like, it's antiquated and, fr- and frankly just foolish in a lot of cases. So well-intentioned, but, but like problematic for kind of the future of development. Anything to add to that, Wayne? Um, I, I think, you know, just to echo what Jordan was saying about the, the process of working with Atomic, it's been really cool because they, they design things to such a high degree of accuracy. Um, so that, that conversation about fabrication has been really amazing where, you know, they, they're building a three-dimensional model that is entirely accurate. They have like every single outlet, they have wires connecting the outlets. They have all the screws in the panels, um, like every little component that needs to be ordered or have on the, the supply chain for them is, is completely um, quantified. And, that process of like we're working out basic design ideas with them and then it's going immediately into a very high level of precision. Um, and then it gets translated into cost information that, that whole back and forth has been a really amazing process for us to, to 
be part of, and it's really contributed to making these things as as efficient and and uh, cost effective as possible. I, I'm I'm interested to hear about how that actually works for you guys, if you're willing to share it, because there's this whole idea of architects doing design intent drawings, right, and then handing hand off, hand off, hand off, right, to the people who actually build it, and there's several steps in between, and so obviously that is getting shortened in this. And there's also kind of this ownership of all of those things and people taking the risk and responsibility of that up front to make sure that it comes out exactly how you want it. Like seriously design intent, right? It's like, no, this is exactly how we're going to do it. This is why we're going to do it. All those things before we get to that though, it's just reminded me of a story with, with the talk about atomic. I think it was, I think it was like the U2 show, the tour, right? And it was, it's, it's a stadium show like every night or two, right? And they have this huge schedule and, and it was something like eight or 18 semis worth of stuff for one show. And there were three of these crews that were leapfrogging each other, right? Because you can't just tear everything down and then be from Anaheim to, uh, you know, Sacramento in, in one day, right? That's a whole separate crew. And I was just kind of blown away by the idea of, it's a machine times three because that's all of the logistics that are that are part of that. And and also having some redundancy built into the system, right? Because they are tearing that thing down and they're going to go erect it again in another spot, which is different than what you guys are talking about. But I can imagine the point of view that Atomic brought to the table with the problem that you're trying to solve. They probably thought, oh, this will be easy. <laughs> comparative to setting up, you know, all of these different shows and leapfrogging each other and the rigging. And there's so much kind of patching things together and then taking it back apart. And it has to make sure it goes back together again. So we can't break it because if we break it and it gets there, it's broken, right? Like there's so many things that they are probably thinking through. It's like, oh man, this, this new thing there, you mean we're only going to put it together once? This is going to be amazing, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, they were excited. You know, I, I worked with them for a stretch, like every summer while I was in architecture school. And then when I graduated, they called me up and they said, uh, you know, what, what, you know, where are you headed? And I was like, I'm, I'm interviewing an architecture firm. They asked me what the salary was. And they said, well, can we double that and get you back here? And so I went, <laughs> I said, yes. And so <laughs> I went and I joined them for a while, but then I realized that as much as I love doing that stuff, there was something about architecture that was just calling me back. Right. And, and I think it's the permanence in a lot of ways, the set design and all of that is, is the exact opposite of architecture. It's like unlimited budgets, you know, got to build it quick. And then it's, it's gone after 18 hours and you know, it is, it's the opposite. And so I had my calling and, and, and frankly, a lot of the guys uh, that worked there at Atomic, I think were super psyched to do something with a little more permanence, Right. And Everybody got excited when we started talking about, hey, we, we, we're working with um, lenders that are going to offer people mortgages that nobody else can get. And this could be a housing solution to hundreds, if not thousands of people. And then it's like, OK, there's like a sense of purpose here. And so so they got super psyched to, you know, collaborate with us. So it's kind of like bringing these two worlds together uh, and bringing the best of both of those worlds. Yeah. And, it, and it's, you know, you, you mentioned the, that kind of design intent drawings and it, it's interesting. The, the relationship that we have with them is very different from that mentality. Whereas, you know, with, with design intent and kind of separating your role from the contractor. And so you're always like in the, 
the, the idea is that you're protecting yourself from liability, like in the background. Um, you're all working together, but there's always this thing where I'm protecting my camp, you're protecting your camp, and and so forth. And this is very different because we have we're we're essentially partners in in the way that these manufacturing agreements are are structured. And so it's it's all it's like all hands on deck. We're all working together. We're not thinking that way. So it's it's just a lot more collaborative and and um, sort of beneficial and quite frankly like a re- really refreshing way of working. Let's take a quick break to share more about our sponsors. My friends, I've got a new chapter in the Avail story to tell you about, and that is the newly released version of Avail Desktop 4.3. The people behind Avail continually strive to make things easier for you, easier to find the information you're looking for, easier to get it into your preferred application, and easier to store it in your preferred cloud storage locations. Let's face it, I think we can all agree that easier is better. But they didn't stop there. They also care about what your experience is like. So, as always, they've kept their focus on visuals with an eye toward design and ease of use. You're probably dying to hear the details of what's new. Well, who am I to get in the way? So let's get right to it. Avail Desktop 4.3 will now feel like your own custom app thanks to key cards. Key cards are data-driven and create zippy new visual ways of organizing your existing content. Think of them like pivot tables for your content. Join the Avail Desktop 4.3 party in BYOS or bring your own storage. Now you can store and deliver your content using Autodesk's BIM 360, Microsoft's OneDrive, Microsoft SharePoint, Google Drive, Dropbox, Ignite, and others. Avail's new Dynamic Paths feature also solves the problem of accessing content using desktop connectors like Autodesk Desktop Connector. Try it today. Either bug your admin to update your installation for all the new goodies, or if you aren't currently using Avail, go to getavail.com today to learn more. That's getavail.com. And now let's get back to our conversation. I'm interested in this fabrication process, and you you mentioned this kind of hybrid approach with the cartridge system. Can you explain what's going on in the factory? And the reason I want to start there, and then I want to kind of work our way back into how it gets from the ideation phase to that phase via technology. So let's start at the end and just what Explain more about the cartridge system and how, you know, whatever you're willing to share about that, because I, I'm sure there's some IP locked up in there somewhere. But the the idea of this approach and this kind of hybrid flat pack slash volumetric uh, approach that you have to get these pieces to the site that click together and build space, um, because I think that's, again, just kind of, I, I'm sure a fabricator doesn't even think about it or they a traditional fabricator isn't going to think about it the same way an architect does, right? We, we think about it spatially and volumetrically, but then when it, it's there, it's like it's pieces, it's parts, the, it's assemblies. And I, I would just love to hear what you've experienced through this process. How eye-opening was it for you to be involved in that part of it and, and how you kind of have reworked your process to make it so that the information flows in the right order, in the right way, and who was involved to get it to that to that piece so that it can be shipped to a site. Sure. Um, so yeah, Wayne, Wayne and I can kind of tag team through this. The the Wayne mentioned uh, a few minutes ago this like very elaborate, comprehensive three D model that's drawn 
And that's, that's super important because each individual piece is kind of tagged with, with a specific nomenclature uh, and sequence for, for construction. And so a lot of uh, the house itself is, is done on a CNC machine. So we're dealing with like sheet products like plywood and that's a story in it, in itself in and of itself pandemic plywood ukraine war plywood plywood like <laughs> you know we've we've gone to a really good place with it but it's taken a long time but that plywood is run through a cnc machine cut into all the individual pieces in the case of the via the via is actually a tiny home on a trailer and we actually rip our studs and do the entire framing with sheets of plywood and what's amazing about that is the it's like a NASA level of precision. Like the, every stud is true. There's no nonsense with, uh, you know, uh, typical lumber. And, and then it's totally it's stable. It's totally right? stable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And we're, our pool tests, everything show that it's, it's every bit is, it's every bit is, uh, capable of a, of a framing mechanism is, 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 uh, lumber, a typical lumber. So, uh, so anyway, all those pieces are made. And then the factory, if you can imagine it, it's like a series of stations. In the case of the Via, the trailer rolls in, and then we start building the the founded like the the uh, base floor, build up insulation, all of that. Then it moves to the next station, the walls go up. Uh, then it moves to the next station, and the cladding starts happening. And then the next station, and the the interiors, interior finishes start to be made. We actually make every one of these houses all the way through in the factory and we have third party inspectors that are there performing the inspections requisite for each place where the house is going to end up. In the case of uh, the vias, it's a little different because it's considered a vehicle and uh, like a, like an RV or, or trailer that just happens to have a house on top of it, which is pretty interesting. And then the houses, the, the connexus that we, we need to identify the municipality of where that's going and, and have everything, you I didn't know. Get that. Could you try again? <laughs> My watch made an appearance on your podcast. <laughs> 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 uh, um, so the, uh, the, the Connexus houses, like we build all the way through. We've got to have the inspections where they look in the walls and make sure the roughings are done properly, all the plumbing, the electrical. So that's all done. And then when we deliver it to site, you'll get a final inspection for, for sign off. And so, so yeah, the factory is interesting. It's, it's great. Like you visit there, you see each one, like the Connexus and the Via from the very first moment all the way through. And right now, we've got a decent amount, you know, going through, but the full production uh, numbers will start in January where we're, we're belting out hundreds of them. That's exciting, like working our way up because we've got to train people and we keep bringing in the next, the next, you know, uh, group or station uh, in production and scaling it up. And again, we wanted to go super organic with our development, unlike a lot of our competitors do this like big investment like scheme where millions are, you know, uh, millions are invested and five factories are built at once. We're like, that scares us. <laughs> we want, we want to scale up and like grow our audience like very organically and, and uh, and do it on terra firma. And we've diversified, and we've we've got you know orders of a, of a few thousand that are giving us a nice kind of foundation to begin expanding. And and so like we think we've done this very responsibly and sustainably. 
and uh yeah to build a real business yeah that's in wayne is there when you saw this thing this stuff happening and and probably talking to it way ahead of time but was there something that opened up your mind to how this could be done when you saw it in action or just talking to the fabricator like ahead of time that really unlocked some new ideas for you guys when it came to these the the approach you were going to take yeah, I mean, there, there were so many conversations about every little detail in terms of being able to do all the connections, make sure that, that everything went together tightly and seamlessly. And, and a lot of that, the, the level of precision, integrating the CNC and all of that is, is incredibly important in that whole process. So there's, yeah, just kind of endless back and forth with, with the fabricator. Um, and a lot of, you know, just, it's not just like a normal detail, like where the, the, the roof comes down and meets the wall. It's like, okay, we got to do that. We got to be able to take it apart and, and put it back together and still have it be waterproof. And, and it's, it's quite tricky. So, the, and then there were details that evolved in terms of how, like, say the roof panels come together so that it can be picked by a crane and, or, or a telehandler and put into place, um, and then, What's a telehandler? Like, I've never heard that. A telehandler is like it, it, it's like a, a little sort of rolling piece of equipment that, that's got the. It, it's kind of like a, a crane on wheels. It's kind of in between a, a, a crane and you know, a smaller piece of equipment. But so that you know, there, there was that level. But then also on the on the more macro level, I think what was really interesting about it was seeing how that that kind of thinking translated into um, how space could be configured. So you know, it, when when you're dealing in, in the cartridges. It's like you, you're not so constrained. You know, like, like typical volumetric modular always bumps up against certain dimensions. It's what can fit on the thing to go down the road, how long can it be, and, and how those things connect. In this, it, because you're dealing in smaller pieces, you get onto site, you can, you can keep extending this thing. You can make a house that's twice as long, and it's no problem. Or you, we can, you, have, you can stack them, get two-story solutions. You can get all kinds of different configurations. So... It, it was just interesting to see how thinking through little details ends up translating into whole concepts of, of how space can be organized and, and be built very quickly. Yeah, that's super cool. I, one of the things that I want to get to the, the, the tech side of things, like the design process, but the this whole factory kind of assembly and assembly line kind of thing, one thing that was kind of eye-opening for me was this idea that in contrast to the traditional construction process where trades are sequenced on site and um, somebody gets pushed back early, it just pushes everybody back. And there's, there's kind of like that side of it. And then everybody has to have their own tools and the materials have to show up right before, and like all of these logistics that are like, you know, cascading effects of logistics and sequencing. Whereas in a factory, there's still some of that, right? All, you need the materials there. You've got to have kind of this, you know, storage space or, or maybe they don't, maybe they will get it just in time or whatever. I, I can only imagine during the great plywood pandemic. But this idea of like, there's, there is the shop tools and, and somebody just shows up to work. They're a contractor and they're an electrician, but they show up and everything's there and they don't have to own all that stuff themselves. And they don't have to make it sure that it's their truck is locked every night in front of their house. And, and they are showing up to a job every day because this line just keeps going. And so there's, there's other issues to solve here, right? Like how do we keep stuff moving on the line and how do we ensure that they actually have the next project is, is in the, is, is coming when they're, they're finishing up on the one that's moving through. But it's the way that it was explained to me was like, there's way more peace of mind in doing this kind of contracting work for those guys who show up to that, 
building every day to build these things. It's just a side tangent, but just interested to hear what you guys kind of, if there was anything like that, that came out of this process for you that really made sense from a productizing architecture standpoint and and the other kinds of jobs it creates and things like that in the industry. I mean, I, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, it's, it's quite different in, in our factory because the guys are all employed there. They're, they're not really subcontracting out the work. So those sequencing issues, which are like of incredible importance on a normal construction site, there's a lot more flexibility in, in terms of how that's managed. And so, and then they're also, you know, they're, you're going down the assembly line. So you can always, you can be working on plumbing over here. You can be doing electrical over here, framing there. Um, so that, that there's, there's a lot more efficiency with that, or, you know, just dealing with, with contractor scheduling and so forth. So that, that's been nice to see that. In addition to all the logistics you were talking about, like, getting new construction site tools, all this stuff. I think not only is there the efficiency of kind of the workforce that's there and a controlled environment that you're getting a better product, but one of the most startling things was we recycle every piece, like every leftover piece. Um, So there's no waste at all. It's like all the little extra pieces of plywood, all the extra pieces of metal, every piece is recycled. And so you're talking about a, an approach to construction in which the the waste generated is less than like 10% of a, a standard construction site. And when you start multiplying that by like hundreds and thousands, it's just like, oh my gosh, the amount of like energy and and, and waste uh, differential and, and that you're building higher quality in a controlled environment. You've got workers that are generally happier, healthier. It's like, it's win, win, win. So that, that part has been eye-opening for us it's like whoa whoa i was just going to ask is there still the trash talk on the construction site inside the factory i want to know um <laughs> there's a lot of poaching that happens that's for sure there's a lot of like uh contractors out there that like try to grab these guys from from our from our uh shop so but yeah there's definitely trash talk yeah there's always gonna be trash talk where there's building <laughs> yeah <laughs> So let's get into the tech and the process and things like that. If you, uh, anything you guys are willing to share about, you know, this disrupting kind of the traditional sense of producing drawings to get a permit and then handing that off and protecting our interest as a as a practice ver- and and then handing things off, you know, there's there's certain certain things that are said, there's certain things that are not said. One of the things that's really interesting about the traditional architectural process of design bid build Right, is like the the drawings are done to get the permit and to do the pricing, but they're it's like it's it's not designed for a contractor, right? It's still kind of a loose instruction set that's design intent because there's this real hands off, and obviously there's 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 so much history here about uh, you know means and methods and things that that architects just won't touch. This is a totally different thing, right? And so, how did you guys? approach that process and and how did you implement like what you have implemented to to change the way that that you you do it um i i think on that question it's it really comes back to that that sort of partnership that we have with the fabricator that that design bid build process it has a lot of potential issues and one of them is quality because it it favors a process where you're selecting the the cheapest bid, you know, for, for yep. different trades in order to meet a price. Substitutions and, of materials and yeah. 
who's yeah. available when and all of that stuff. Right? And then you, you know, sometimes you don't really know is, is, is this subcontractor of, of the right kind of quality level or what kinds of issues are going to re result from that, that situation. And I think what's so comforting about what we have in place is we, we already know in the background that that's resolved. And, and so what it becomes about is real conversations about um, where value can be assigned and, and gained in, in that process. And it becomes a collaborative conversation. It's a completely open book uh, situation. Like there's sometimes you have, you have a completely open book contract in traditional architecture and sometimes you don't. And even within the open book setup, the subs tend to be closed. So um, this is, everything is completely open and it just makes for a much better back and forth process and and that that sense of like ownership of drawings and stuff it's it's much more fluid here um and i just think it, it really helps the whole process and then everyone gets a better product in the end i've been through several design build projects where it's like the, the idea of we're all on the same team is stronger than design bid build for sure but it's probably not the level of what you're talking about so i can totally imagine that like we're just going to call and get the answer and we're going to work through this problem together no matter where it shows up and and because this is all our product you had mentioned something about um uh, just like uh, how is this still serving the profession when when you started the question and you know our thought is that we have kind of a library of these cartridges right and so that an architect still has some flexibility to make something that functions for kind of the different families and different priorities of living. If the architects not, not live, like you can, you can use your own architect to kind of take this kit of parts and assemble it uh, and position it on the site. So there's still, there's a, there's a website like called Ikea hackers or something. That's what it sounds like to me is going on. Yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> like take, taking traditional Ikea furniture and the, okay, this piece actually fits over here and you can make this cool Frankenstein yeah. piece out of it. I've seen that like hacks, <laughs> like, like really you take the Ikea carcasses and then you do like beautiful doors uh, and drawers on it. So yes, in, in, in essence, like there's still flexibility. And as we evolve as a company, We'd love to grow that library to bring more flexibility so that architects still have kind of a vested interest in using the, the, the system. But again, it takes away the, uh, the difficulty uh, and the kind of out of reach quality that, that working with an architect typically you know, has for, for most families uh, that are looking to, to you know, buy a home or, or build a home. I get the sense, correct me if I'm wrong, that you guys are doing design. And then you are handing this to Atomic and they're like, you're doing some kind of level of design intent. I don't know how detailed that gets. I would love for you to fill me, fill in the details. And then they're taking it and doing the every screw in the model kind of thing. And then that's going to fabrication. Is that what it's like? Or is it, is it, it something it's, else? It, there, it's been a little bit different. Like some meetings will have something that's completely developed and uh, it's very easy. Atomic still redraws in essence because they're, their drawings really tend to focus on the fabrication elements, right? Yeah, which is totally yeah. different. Yeah, and right. then uh, there's other ones where they kind of challenge materials that we've we've put forward and said, "Wouldn't it be easier to do it this way?" And so it's every instance is a little bit different. I think the vias tend to have a lot more like versions available because they're not like pieces that you plug together. We're delivering them assembled. And so with that atomic, you know, we've led the charge with like 
you know, three or four of them and they've led the charge with three or four and we, we kind of come back together, but it's been very collaborative and we've tried to make it as efficient as, as possible. And we really, I mean, nothing beats face to face and we, we try to make, and, and, and I think they, they push us to come down and just spend two days, two days at a time down in, in Pennsylvania factory. And like, we're out on the floor, we're back in the meeting room, we're on the floor like we're, you know, constantly drawing and meddling and trying to find better ways. So, so yeah, so it's a, I hope that answers your question, but it's, a, it's always a little bit different depending on, on the, the topic or issue at hand. Yeah. And there's, there, there's been some fun moments where, you know, we'll, we'll design something, they work up their model and they'll say, you know, this is a lot easier to build if we do this, this, and this. And then we're like, no way. Cause then the, the windows aren't going to be aligned or whatever. And that used to really annoy them. <laughs> but over the course of time, it's become where like now when questions are raised, they're like, well, we really think we should line this up or this should all be even. Like all the, the sort of qualitative thinking that we were doing at the beginning, now they're bringing to the same, same nice. equation. It's been a fun yeah. evolution. That's cool. Very cool. I, I, I love this idea of finding better ways and working through all this together. And that to me is a paradigm shift in kind of thinking for traditional architectural because of that like siloed approach and risk aversion and protecting all of those, those different pieces of the puzzle and being very independent. This is breaking down those barriers and it's that I can just see the iterative process kind of working throughout the whole thing. Uh, it's, it's very cool to hear. So when you guys, uh, let's just talk about tools. Are you guys comfortable talking about the tools that you're using? Yeah, I would just love to kind of hear the rundown of of how you're, what tools you're using, how you're using them. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in our studio, we in, in DXA studio, um, or the live side, we, we use a lot of sort of AutoCAD and Revit um, at the beginning of the project. And that's because, you know, a lot of the consultants in our world are all on those platforms. Um, and for the atomic side, they're, they're more tapped into Vectorworks as a platform. It's, it's more common in the, in the stage set industry. So we, what we've been doing is, at least initially, we, we, we would start in Revit and then give them the files. They would convert them and, and work on it on their platform. Now we're also doing it where we have some copies of Vectorworks so we can go back and forth more, more readily. Um, so yeah, yeah. And we with other tools, we've we've made little three D printed models, chipboard models. I mean, that's what we learned at Virginia Tech. I did way more models than drawings. Like everything was, you know, studying. So we've done a lot of that. We've done a ton of mockups down um, with Atomic. These guys love to destroy stuff, and so they do little mockups of the roof. Daniel called me in the middle of the night one time and said, "Hey." Um, by the way, uh, the house just withstood the strongest winds ever experienced on Earth. So, so that was nice. On purpose, yeah, on like, purpose, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so to have that that type of uh, like meddling and playing around, mock, we, we're big believers in mockups. I mean, you want to learn if something works or or, or see it spatially. Uh, the mockup is a really important uh, kind of tool in the arsenal. You guys are offering two different product types, right? You've got this kind of uh, prefab, the, the cartridge system that becomes a, a fully permitted house, right? And then there's this idea of the the via that sits on a trailer frame. So a lot of tiny houses that we see don't fall under traditional building codes, right? So 
just break down a little bit about your perception of both of those? Do you favor working on one over the other? Why, if so? Well, we started with the Connexus because we saw, I mean, that's, that's, that's where our heart was at the time. And we built a Connexus, our first prototype, and it's sitting in a beautiful, like bucolic cornfield in Pennsylvania. And we just started getting lots and lots of calls about it. Like, where, where can we get one? Um, and one of the calls that came in is, a, is another one of our partners, Abby at uh, Tiny Estates. And Abby um, has been a pioneer in this of, of tiny homes. And she basically said, if you're manufacturing these Connexus models, do you have the capacity to manufacture tiny homes? Because most of the manufacturers of tiny homes are like small shops, right? Where they build one or two a month. Uh, and then they're back ordered for like two or three years. And so we, we thought, oh, this is interesting. And Atomic um, was very interested. Hey, why don't we do this? And so we kind of, we did it and we borrowed a lot of the kind of material and technology and approaches that we were doing on the Connexus um, to move it forward really rapidly because Abby was quite interested in like, you know, getting, getting them uh, to your customers as quickly as possible. And so that has just taken off. I mean, that the via, we kind of had it the other way around. We thought the Connexus would be um, the really successful one, but it is, but it's a longer gestation period. I think when you're doing a, when you're a replacement to a, you know, more traditional home, that that takes way uh, like more planning and uh, the financing side of it and everything. So the tiny homes have moved very fast. The vias, uh, and they've been fun. And one of the one of the aspects of the via that like we weren't aware of before we started was this like dynamic that people can buy these and have a mortgage less than monthly rent and build equity in it. And then when they go to sell, they have high resale values. So there's a prospect that you can buy one of these things, live in it for a few years, and then sell it for maybe the same price that you bought it for. And take it away. Yeah, or or keep it and move it to another location. And so, man, oh man, that opens a ton of doors. I mean, that is like the prospect of creating a whole new like home ownership class with with this type of solution is is like incredibly exciting for us and um and so that partnership with abby has been just like with atomic it's been eye-opening and symbiotic and 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 thrilling and then on the connexus side the the people that we've been talking to a lot of them are states that are interested in in buying hundreds of these and and helping people recover as a you know as a disaster relief there's, there's kind of two types of disaster relief. There's one that's the FEMA trailer that's like right after a disaster and the other like replacing homes and, and not taking two or three years to do it. Like, and so the, well, and the other thing that you see happen in that circumstance, like California wildfires is a great example of this is like all of a sudden everybody needs a new house and everybody's priced out of getting a new house because when there's that kind of demand, the prices shoot up and then nobody can afford to replace their house. Right. So this is a huge, hundred percent, hundred percent. And so conversations with places like California, Florida, uh, and Texas and the state of Maryland in particular, those four places, like the, the prospect of that making a huge difference in a lot of people's lives 
and 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 selling those in quantity is a kind of an ongoing process. So they're it's kind of very different. And just like any sort of adventure in life, it's it, the the reality like where we're where we are right now is much different than where we thought we were when we started. <laughs> so the kind of adapting and the agility to kind of deal with these kind of different opportunities has been like kind of the most one of the most exciting parts of of the experience so far. Yeah. And they they they're both really fun to work on. They're, they're very different mentality, but um it's like the tiny house like trying to figure out how to work with the trailer, how to work with the the weight transfer, where's the best place for different programs, you know, and then create different models where we have a 24 foot the whole way up to 32 and now we're looking at longer. Thinking of that as like a a self-contained unit and then it connects us with all this flexibility. It's and and then the like you're saying the rules being different. Um, it's kind of fun to have both to be able to go back and forth because sometimes someone you know thinks that they they want the Connexus but ends up saying oh maybe the tiny is better or the other way around you know depending on on price and a whole bunch of other yeah, factors. The, the other thing that's pretty exciting, Evan, is that you know we mentioned that most of the people building tiny homes are are maybe you know it's almost like a do-it-yourself quality construction. A lot of them are like glorified sheds. And so to actually have architects designing these and bring building science, building technology, like having like, like superior R values, energy performance, what we're offering is totally different than what's out there. Like this is like, I, I don't know what you mean. I've got a, a 23 foot travel trailer. Those walls have to be like an inch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> there you go. Yeah. Forest river. Uh, yeah. There, the, the technology has not changed in the last 50 years about it's, it's light and cheap as possible. Yep. Right. So, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love that, that the whole idea of, of the range and the kind of, the different opportunities that present themselves by working on these different types of projects. Just maybe, maybe last section that we can, we can get into here is, I mean, I would love for you guys, if, if you're willing to kind of share pricing and stuff of what, what it actually takes. And, and I'm sure it's all over the map because it's the modular aspect of the, of the con- connects, but the, this idea of designing for very tiny spaces is probably very different than designing for something that can be added onto or modular in a different way. Like this idea of tiny houses, like I can only imagine kind of the psychology for the owner of what it takes to get rid of all their stuff and move into one of these places. And then what's it's actually like, do I have to move this just to sit at the table? Do I have to collapse the table into my bed every night? Like I do in an RV, but there there's like a level of design that comes to bear here that, architects have not traditionally tackled right and so how was that to me like that's one of probably one of the coolest design problems there is right and so i'm just wondering from your guys standpoint when you're designing the the via how different was that and how exciting is that or is it not is it really difficult i I found it crazy exciting um i think one of the best architecture professors i had in the undergraduate program at Virginia Tech, uh, his name was Jay Steckel, and he was he would sail, and he was all constantly referencing boat design and thinking about architecture. Right, that any thing on the boat had two or three or four reasons why it was there, why it looked the way it did, why it was built the way it was, and and that kind of analogy. Uh, and that in, in that approach 
for the VA was absolutely like every move we made, like, why does it need to be this? Why does it need to be here? Super purposeful. Everything yeah. purposeful and, uh, and, and crazy intentional. Uh, and there's a, a, a like a, an element of conservation to it, right? Like knowing that you, in order to downsize, the ergonomics need to be there. And, and in, in both cases, like we use certain design devices to make things feel much larger. So it's like a perception uh, based experience. So even though these are small places, they feel generous, they feel bright, they feel warm. It's, it's like Disneyland. It's like you just get a five eight scale toilet, yes. and the bathroom seems yeah, huge. Exactly, <laughs> Main Street. Exactly. <laughs> so, but they they genuinely feel good. I mean, we had we had concerns when we were developing it. We built our first prototype. Like, is this going to feel as good as we think it is? And we were delighted when we walked in, and it did. It was just like it was just like you know a, like a validation of a of a hunch and. uh yeah, so I think that's the case with the Via, but I think the Connexus is more like a typical home. We were able to give dimensions that are like commensurate with like you know standard homes, so it's not too yeah, it's not there's not too much of a sacrifice in those. And so, uh, but again, they're very different products. Um, when you ask about pricing, pricing for those uh, the Vias really starts around ninety thousand. Um, and that, that can go up, but we started a 24 foot model and now we're offering 24 to 32 feet. Uh, pretty soon we'll be offering a 40 footer. And so that, that goes 90 to like, I think 125 to 135, depending on dimension finishes all of that. And then the, the Conexus we're reverse engineering. We had a starting price of 150, but we're getting in the neighborhood of about 125 now to start with the one bedroom. Uh, and then that can go up infinitely. That can go up to three or 4,000 square feet. And so you get into, you know, the two and 300,000, uh, you know, uh, range for, for pricing. But what's beautiful about the ladder, the Conexus, is that you can start with a one or two bedroom and add onto it whenever you want. And so we think that's, that should be appealing to a lot of buyers as well. I'm I'm interested in this whole uh, mortgage set of things too. I mean, maybe final final uh, ver- uh, version of the, of the podcast is this. I imagine with the tiny home, it is not a traditional mortgage, right? Is it? I mean that that to me because unless somebody has cash, let's pretend for a moment that somebody doesn't have ninety thousand dollars laying around. How how do they go about purchasing these? And I guess that question goes for the Connect Tech too. I, I kind of assume that is more of a traditional mortgage and construction, maybe a part of that loan as well. Yeah, I was going to say with Connexus, yeah, that that can be a, a traditional mortgage. With with the tiny home, there's an org, there's a national organization called NOAA, which, which certifies the tiny homes. And, and once you get that certification, you actually can get financing for the for the tiny homes. So that opens mm-hmm. it up you know, for a lot of different people, you don't have to have that, that 90,000 sitting around. Yeah. And you, so you guys build all of this in the, in the shop in Pennsylvania. And then do those tiny homes get trailered to wherever they're going to go? And exactly. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. And so we have, we've established partnerships with uh, two lenders. They're different lenders. Uh, We have rocket mortgage, which gives like a preferential rate familiar with the product inside out uh, for the Conexus. 
Uh, and then um, through through our partner, Tiny Estates, they're able to offer financing for uh, for the vias. And uh, and and so I think so far, almost everyone that we've uh, sold has been with financing. And I've been reading recently that there are a number because of the housing crisis. There's a number of of lenders looking at uh, zero down mortgages, and so that looks like something that might that might be available in the not too distant future. And hopefully, we can bring that you know to to uh, our our buyers. Um, so. So yeah, so we're constantly trying to make it again more accessible um, for uh, for people. I'm going to append a final to my previous final final comment. So this is the triple final comment in the in the the under the the idea of we need more of this. Uh, we need a lot more of this. Like you said, there's a housing crisis. Crisis is is not a word to be taken lightly. So you, you guys have bitten this off. You're, you're taking this on in, in the Live Connected world, in the, the DXA studio world. But we we mentioned earlier on in the conversation that there are there, most architects, if, if not, you know, let's just call it that 90% of architects are not pursuing this and they're leaving a lot on the table. So maybe in a final, uh, you know, s- part of the conversation regarding inspiring others to take the move to get into this and in the the openness of this conversation and this podcast and what it actually takes to do that are you guys open to having conversations with others about how to do this um you know one of the things i loved about about musk and tesla is like he open sourced you know the the design platform it's like we need more of this so here's what we're going to do we're going to make the 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 ip available right to anybody who wants it because that we're not trying to protect it so that we're the only electric car manufacturer out there. We, we need more of this. Our goal is to electrify autom- automobiles, right? So I'm just wondering your approach, are, are, are you willing to have those conversations? Are you encouraging others to have this kind of an outlook and this kind of approach and, and to, and to go in this direction business model wise, um, professionally? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Without question. I mean, we do believe it's the future for, for many, many reasons. And we would encourage people. I mean, I think given the response that we've received uh, in launching in mid-June to now, and we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of potential orders, there's no way um, that we can do that alone. All we can say is there's ample interest in a very receptive audience out there and more than enough opportunity to go around for many more people to get into this space. So I think that's that's one thing. The other thing is we see opportunity moving beyond just the single family approach that we're doing with with uh, with the Connexus and Via now, and like we've got ambitions to get into multifamily versions of this, where these cartridges can plug into existing commercial buildings and convert them to residential. I mean, look behind us, like is Manha- is Manhattan, and there's whole pockets of of this city that are just sitting there vacant like the office space the, the idea that you could convert that and that's going to take way more than just just you know live connected doing that, that there's so much opportunity for people to help you know take on the housing crisis head-on so yeah absolutely we totally support that yeah definitely i mean just you know a lot of your questions earlier about this this kind of evolution of a thinking with traditional models and the way that that's been done in the past it's there's, I think what we're seeing is there's 
there's we, we have the ability to streamline things. There, there's so much excess. There's so much um, unnecessary complexity and waste in, in the way that things are done now between like the design process or the construction process. And ultimately, the users pay that that price at the end. Um, so, you know, to, to challenge these traditional models is is a very refreshing exercise and just something that, that really needs to be done. I, there's some stat uh, global floor area is projected to double by 2060 and the equivalent of building an entire New York City every 30 days for the next 30 plus years is insane. Oh to think about. Oh uh, you, you guys are sitting in the middle of, of it right now, right? You're in Manhattan and, and that just to, th- if you've walked through Manhattan, you understand maybe more than most people, what the scale of the problem actually is. And the mentality of many, many firms out there is one project to the next. Right. And then not thinking about this from a scale standpoint that needs to be addressed. There is plenty of work for everyone. I think that's kind of my big message here with with where we're ending off is so let's not be stingy. Let's let's move into these other ways and serve people in the way that architects can serve people and solve these kinds of problems and bring better design to the market. Right. Because by productizing architecture, you're giving people who never had an arc, uh, an opportunity to buy architecture before with the traditional model the opportunity to do that and get the meaningful living and outcomes that great design can contribute to their lives and they can then can pay that forward right in their job in their families in their communities and all those things so to me like there's so much potential here with very little downside and you guys have proven that you can do this and you're growing it organically. You're not trying to be the next Katera and, and get billion dollar valuations and get all this VC money that needs a 10 X or a hundred X return. You're building it organically and you're proving it as you go. And you're showing that it's a very viable business and solution to address the problems that we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, well said, I think it was an articulate way of expressing kind of, the thing that's most exciting for us um, about this uh, this venture. So, um, so yeah, I don't think I could say it any better. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you. Uh, Wayne, I would love it if you could share where people can follow along with what you guys are up to. I'll put all the links to everything in the show notes so people don't have to remember all this, but I do want them to hear it. Where can they follow along with what you all are doing at DXA Studio and Live Connected? Yeah, so at uh, DXA Studio is simply dxastudio.com and Live Connected is liv-connected.com. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and um, LinkedIn and so forth. And would love to uh, share our platforms with you. Yeah, thank you guys so much for taking the time to have this conversation today. It was an, a very important one. So kudos to you and, you, and what you're doing. I, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Evan. It was great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you to Avail for their support of this podcast episode. Visit getavail.com to see their holistic approach to content management today. This show is part of the Gabled Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gabledmedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. 
I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.